0: I'm Megan. I'm Tyler. And this is the Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Megan. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing?
1: Um, I'm good. Yeah, it's sunny out, and uh, I feel like we're we're having a summer of the office.
0: We are. Yeah, I know. I feel like we're able to get more more consistent on our viewing and recording, which is nice. Yeah, Yeah. I'm really enjoying it. I was looking at it, too. We're already more than halfway through season two, which is kind of amazing. I was looking at that today,
1: too. I am still astonished at how long a season is of this show.
0: Yes, (laughs) it is astonishing. Yeah, I think this one's 22 episodes, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're at season two, episode 14, The Carpet. But I guess before we get into it, Tyler, do you have any revisions and regrets for us? Um, yeah, I guess I have
1: a revision in the precise sense of the word, which is okay. reviewing or turning uh-huh. back and looking again. Oh, yes. I like that. Have you reconsidered your relationship to magic uh, <laughs> since the <laughs> since, uh, <So>, podcast?
0: <laughs> so your revision is really... A request for me to re-envision magic.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just okay. curious. I don't know. Have you had a? Have you been enlightened at all?
0: So I have given it a bit of thought. I started to do a little bit of research, Uh-oh. and I watched some videos of Chris Angel.
1: No. What?
0: <laughs> I never you know mentioned him.
1: <laughs> do you know who he is? Of course I do. Yeah, like the gothy magician.
0: Yeah, the gothy magician, and I gotta say, he did not (laughs) be over. Um, Impress you? I want some credit for trying, but the one of the tricks I watched, he was trying to break out of a wood box before it ran through a wood chipper. Oh my! It's just horrifying magic, (laughs) and so. The idea is he's on one of those things, you know, where when they cut down a tree, they put the tree through it and it turns it to wood chips. Yes. Yes. He's in this wood kind of coffiny, I guess, but like a wood box. And the trick is that he's got to try to get himself free before it runs into the blades. Sure. So of course he doesn't get out on time. It runs through the blades and then there's this, all this kind of wood and it gets red like it's bloody. Flying out of the thing. And then he pops up on the other side uh-huh. in the back of the truck where all the wood chips land. Uh-huh. And I just thought, I don't know, guy, this, this was just brutal to watch. I How,
1: what did you Google to get to this video? <laughs> like, cause <laughs> I want it known podcast listeners that I sent Megan a link to the Hulu special that I know she's gonna love when she watches it, called "In and of Itself." I want everybody to watch it right into the podcast. Tell me your 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 critiques, your thoughts. But it's a very you know, it, 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 I feel like it will speak to a lot of Megan's you know uh, interests, you know, in in art and meaning, you know, and community. I'm telling you, it's so good. And instead you Google what? Like
0: bloody magic? (laughs) Burger magic? I definitely got to the dark side of magic, but I will say in my defense, I actually tried to start watching that. And I saw the first few minutes Uh and then my iPad died. So then I just decided to do (laughs) research on my cell phone instead, which is how I got to Chris Angel. But... uh, so I've only seen the first few minutes oh. <laughs> so far. <laughs> oh, damn. I was just thinking, oh, God. I, I'm, <laughs> defi- <laughs> I'm definitely going to watch this for Tyler, but I'm definitely not wanting to. But I'm going to try to figure it out. So we'll see. Hopefully I will be won over and it will change. But if not, I'm trying to understand what it is why did i not connect with it mm-hmm. and i don't know if it if it just seems like magic involves taking yourself way too seriously oh yeah in yeah. a thing that should be light and fun and i just feel like there's too much in my life of taking yourself too seriously zone that for some reason magic doesn't i don't know the seriousness there it just I don't know, Tyler, but I'm trying. I'll I, report I, back once I do. I, really, watch I
1: want you to. I want you to watch it so that we can talk about it on the podcast.
0: Okay. But
1: I will because I actually think it would be interesting, and we can connect it to the to the office because everything can be. But um, yeah, that is the one thing about that special is like it is overly earnest. <laughs> um, but that I really do think if you get, I do. This is an aesthetic thing lately that I don't agree with. People are like, just watch like four seasons and then you'll love it. And it always feels like like (laughs) being held hostage. Like, like, you know, you just have to get through 10 hours of a thing you hate. So then you'll love 30 more hours of it, you know, and it's like Stockholm syndrome. So, so, you know, but on the other hand, I really do think, you know, you you, you, give a shot so we can argue about it uh, on the podcast and then I'll watch something that um, that you love, and I'll trash it. Uh,
0: okay, that's fair. That's definitely fair. So, what's your take on Chris Angel, and what do you think would be Michael Scott's take? Like where does Michael Scott fall within the world of magic? Because we haven't really heard who his aspirational magicians are.
1: I could see him really loving Chris Angel because <laughs> there was this time, if I recall, like in the 2000s when like chris angel and i don't know if there were others but chris angel was like trying to make magic cool again which i realized for you is a (laughs) a oxymoron it's but if
0: anyone could do it he could i mean he really brings some edginess to magic that i feel like you don't typically associate with it
1: it's yeah you got leather pants and tattoos and 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 black hair and and uh, whatever, you know, he was definitely trying to be like, I'm the goth or whatever, the um, <laughs> new metal type, you know, uh, magician. And, but the other thing that was happening around the same time too, was like and him and I can't remember the other guy who was even more annoying um, to me, but basically where it was almost like it wasn't even magic anymore. It was more just like endurance or like oh yeah, the guy who was like, I'm being buried in ice or I'm being buried in a coffin. It was all just like, kind of bodily tests of yeah endurance. Um, and I, you know, it, obviously it's all ultra white masculinity in a way. And so I guess I kind of think of Chris Angel as of that era and also like cheesy, you know, real cheesy, similarly taking itself really seriously. But yeah, uh, anyway, uh, I don't know that <laughs> the always... self thing will make anybody <laughs> think that magic has changed, but still anyway.
0: Yeah. So I feel like, I feel like Michael, so, so are you suggesting? Oh, yeah. What would he, like, I think he
1: would be into guy. that because he's always trying to follow what's cool. So he would be like, Oh, this is edgy. Yes. He'd be like, I want to.
0: Oh yeah. Try to be
1: buried alive. And then within three minutes would be like, no, 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 no don't do it.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
1: Okay. What do you think? <laughs> what kind of magic do you think Michael Scott would do?
0: Oh my God. I, I do not know. I mean, I do not feel like he is prepared for the Chris Angel content that I saw. Another one of them was getting plowed over by a steamroller while laying on top of glass. What did you Google?
1: You just said, <laughs> did you Google just magic? Like, how did you get to Chris Angel? Well, I
0: searched. <laughs> okay, I actually searched Chris Angel because he was the one name of a magician that I knew, and I know him actually because my favorite comedian has this joke that's about finding Chris Angel's phone. And so I was like, okay, I know Chris Angel is a magician. <laughs> so I'm going to find some good examples of, you know, this famous magician. So, so that's how I got there. I think Michael just really needs to be starting much, much smaller at a much safer. Yeah magic level. I think he certainly would want to go, go big and we'll see him try to
1: have Uh, the magic ante. When are we going to see the magic show? Is there an episode called magic
0: show? No, but (laughs) he definitely, he definitely brings some of his, some of his work into the office in a couple of different places.
1: All right. I'm really excited to see that. Who is your favorite comedian that you just mentioned? Joe Zimmerman. Oh, I don't know Joe Zimmerman. Okay.
0: He is so funny, has lots of good animal content, which I really like. And um yeah, I don't know. I just think he's a he's a brilliant writer and hilarious, hilarious person. So highly recommend him. And Joe Zimmerman, if you're listening, thanks for introducing me to Chris Angel, who is <laughs> really horrifying.
1: <worth laughs> Wanna come on the podcast, Joe? Yeah. <laughs> um Megan do you have any revisions or regrets
0: the only one I wanted to address was your magic and I am you know I do I do feel a little bit bad for coming down so hard (laughs) on you but I just I don't know I just couldn't stop laughing it's awesome and it's happening again finding out that you love magic but I do love (laughs) it about you Tyler and I am going to keep trying to revise my perspective on that
1: yeah, no, I, I think it's okay to mercilessly mock me for this uh, <laughs> eggy love, uh, but I do think it sets us up nicely for this episode, you sort of hating magic, I hated this episode, I'm really excited to talk about it, I'm going to make the claim that this is a bad episode, and maybe the first bad episode we've really seen on the show, yeah. so yeah.
0: Okay, I I can't wait to hear why. This episode is so weird. It's weird. It's really weird. And I, so as I watch it, this is not a favorite episode of mine either. And so I was kind of hoping that as we discussed this, it was going to transform for me and I was going to find all these things. But we might actually be able to keep this episode under an hour.
1: I have have surprisingly little to say about it. I was like... (laughs) taking notes and i was like huh uh,
0: well maybe yeah. megan
1: will have something <laughs> yeah. But, uh, we'll yeah
0: see. we'll see if we can if we can pull any anything out of this but i agree this is this is a bit of a rougher one so here's our summary michael questions his popularity when he finds a foul surprise on his office floor jim gets relegated to a vacant desk Yeah, I guess
1: I'll, do you, where do you want to go? Do you want to talk big picture or do you want to start with the cold open? What's your vibe?
0: Why don't we start with why you
1: think this is a bad episode? Okay. To me, what is so confusing, like I, to say that it's confusing makes it sound like it's complicated Mm -hmm. and it's not. I guess I just felt as if the episode never really clarifies from the get-go what Michael is feeling about the the, the carpet. And so it, we bounce back and forth between scenes, especially early on where he seems pretty fine. And it's not, I guess, until, like, it's not a, it really until uh, Oscar and Creed are laughing that he sort of makes this turn to be like, oh, now I'm upset. Because yeah. he's sort of getting the idea that people have did this to uh, prank, you know, prank him in a bad as way. You know, that as a hate crime, <laughs> as a hate crime, as he says, yeah. But even when it makes that turn, like it feels like we go back and forth in tone between mm-hmm. him sort of being kind of blasé and him taking it very seriously. And I just felt like hmm. I never got a handle on. Like it felt very inconsistent to me. And so yeah. the whole episode doesn't really have a through line other than, <laughs> I think it feels like the through line is supposed to be who shit on the carpet. Um, <laughs> and maybe that is the thing. Like it's, it's meant to be not like a mystery, but you know, uh, th- that's meant to generate the um, momentum of the episode, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really invest in that very much I guess, you know, um, and it feels, I remember seeing this the very first time I saw it. This is probably the second time I've watched it. I don't know, but I feel like the first time I watched it thinking, oh, somehow Michael did this or, you know, you, you anticipate oh, yeah. a reversal, even if you don't know that it's Packer. So uh-huh. there's not that much suspense either in the idea that anybody in the office did it because none of them seem that cruel. So yeah. anyway, I don't know. And then and then when we finally get the reveal that it's Packer, even that doesn't, there's no emotional payoff. Like there's no moment where Michael seems to realize anything. I, I don't know.
0: I just didn't yeah. this
1: episode. Yeah. It felt like totally filler or something, even though there were great moments, but yeah. I don't know. What do you think?
0: I wonder if, so I wonder if it is a flaw of the, episode that michael's feelings don't come together or if it's that michael's feelings about it are so all over the place for him too yes so maybe i don't know maybe we can kind of figure out a little bit of what's going on there but i'm wondering if one of the reasons that i don't like this episode as much is that michael is never well no as i'm saying this i'm taking it back and realizing why it's wrong but i was going to say maybe one of the reasons is that michael is never endearing in this. Yeah. Like he never had to me has a kind of vulnerability that is also compelling. He's just so annoying. Yeah. And I think it's that it's mostly annoying in ways that aren't particularly interesting. Like when he's annoying in ways that are sexist, for example, it's really interesting. (laughs) And in this, he's more just annoying, annoying. And I'm thinking of when he does the raid on accounting and he goes over and starts throwing yes. all their papers. And it just feels, cause I guess it's different than the cringe comedy stuff. It's more just irritation comedy and it is so, so annoying. Um, so he drives me a little bit crazy and he didn't have any thing redemptive. Maybe I'm being too harsh, but that was tough to so the question of there being a through line. Could the through line be about the relationship between Jim and Pam? Like, could it be, because that's where it begins sort of, or it begins with Jim and Pam is absent. And then Pam is again gone at the end, but leaving, we're listening to the voicemails. Right. So I wonder if in some ways, if we thought about the episode as being more significantly about, Jim and Pam and Roy and a little bit less about the carpet if it might hold together a little bit better.
1: yeah, I mean that's interesting. I think to go to your first point about michael being kind of grading, I really agree like and the scenes don't seem to know where to go with it like so he um he and dwight like throw all the stuff on the floor, right There's some really funny elements to it like, especially dwight um mimicking michael's movements and (laughs) um and uh him uh taking angela's pen and dropping you know like there are little beats that are entertaining or whatever but yeah none of it really adds up to much like it doesn't then spill into like a prank war Mm -hmm. which would make sense you know to an extent because he's like oh pam you're next or whatever and i was like okay he's gonna I don't know. So there, so it loses any momentum there. And then yeah, he's just kind of annoying. So that when like Packer's thing is revealed, like there's no kind of close-up or moment to sit with Michael realizing, like, oh, this was a joke that's very mean. And yeah. then turning it and being like, Oh, actually, I totally was in on it. And that would endear me to him to see him humiliated or mm-hmm. to at least recognize that there's something humiliating in this. Yeah. But I suppose, I mean, to take your point, like maybe there isn't something humiliating in this for him. Once he finds out that Packer would prank him, it makes sense, I suppose, from Michael's point of view, that like, oh, that is a sign that I'm a part of the club. Um, Yeah. I don't know.
0: Which actually then connects back in some ways to the last episode, to thinking about what makes a male friendship uh, and what are the kind of um, activities or the rituals that define a male friendship? And it feels like for Michael, this is one of them.
1: Yes. yes
0: yeah. on each other's stuff is somehow this sign of masculine closeness.
1: I love that point. Yeah. No. And it, it, you're making me think too. I mean, there's something very different, I think, about watching a bunch of these episodes back to back. Mm-hmm. And versus watching them one by one. And, you know, I'd be curious how other people's experience of the show changes based on that. Like, when, because it was shown like week to week, right? Like on NBC or something. And now people are binging it. And I think the upside of binging it is that it lessens the pressure on any one episode to be mm. distinctive yeah. plot. And then you can enjoy just being in the space or hanging out with these characters when you're kind of binging and they blur together a little bit. And so Mm -hmm. I really like that idea that like, okay, this episode or this season is exploring a bit of this kind of question of friendship because yeah, I think you're totally right. And it's a nice resonance with the last episode. Um,
0: And actually how incredibly sad then that, you know, Michael has gone through being so anxious about what this means and that he he seems at the end when he, when Todd Packer calls, he finds out it was him and he seems so relieved by it because it's the sign of some kind of friendship and just like, it's just such a sad kind of friendship that that's what he has to sort of hang on to. And in that moment, Dwight is, Dwight is overhearing this conversation. He is not, reflecting back Michael's feelings there at all he Mm. looks just like really kind of put off and kind of sad maybe and so it was kind of interesting seeing that reflected in Dwight too and I think the season has shown us Dwight could be a better friend than Packer that definitely
1: was like a bit yeah felt like that was on their minds a little bit, you know, where Dwight he, he, and, the, and they set up the ending with him being like, Oh, Packer used to sit here. And mm-hmm. Dwight is in his perfect little toady uh, mode when he starts the sales contest. And then he's yeah. like, Oh, you're going to crush us or he's going to crush us or whatever. Yes. <laughs> Again, like all of these ideas are like interesting, but it's like the sales contest goes nowhere. Like the mm-hmm. minute he sets it up he immediately changes it. And it and that is, yeah. it's very Michael, but it just is like not very interesting, I guess, to me. Yeah, um, yeah. The mystery of the carpet. I'm trying to think, there was some other plot. Um, oh, Ed Truck coming back. I thought Ed maybe Proof. that would be something. But okay, so let's go to your other point. What if the episode is actually the kind of Jim Pam plot? And I will say, The ending is really lovely. And it's like straight out of great romantic comedy or dramedy stuff with her leaving all those voicemails on his phone. Because we're totally expecting that he's going to get a call from Brenda. Yes. From corporate, which, holy crap, Brenda?
0: That is the biggest plot twist of this episode, right? Yeah. Brenda from the the, uh, Booze Cruise, who was so unappealing in that episode she just did not seem to be an engaging person at all so a little bit a little bit surprising but um a lot of voicemails I guess are being left in this episode
1: oh yeah that's interesting that's true
0: yeah so Jim asks Brenda out over voicemail Kelly is overhearing oh Kelly's another I think we need to talk about Kelly because she really emerges in this episode i think in a lot of ways but yeah so the ending this is kind of a lot but should i read it into the record it's just so good yeah i found this part so moving too okay so as jim is walking out i think is he the last one leaving the office i think so on this day so he's he's about to walk out and he has been sent because michael took over his desk he's been sent back to the annex by Kelly. And I was thinking about to maybe as when we talk about Kelly, the fact that one of the more central characters being moved back there is the thing that sort of enables her character to come out more, which was kind of interesting. That's true. But anyway, Jim goes to check his voicemail. Like you said, we're thinking maybe there'll be a response from Brenda, no response from Brenda, but it says you have seven unheard messages. And so then the first one, Pam says, hey, Jim, it's Pam. I keep looking up to say something back to you. Um, or I'm sorry, to say something to you. And then Michael's there and it's horrible. Anyway, I'm bored. Come back. And then it does the beeps, you know, in between. Hey, guess what? I moved my computer so I can't see Michael's head. It's working. I think I can have a career in a very specific type of decorator. Another message, Sudoku, level moderate, 18 minutes, suck on that, Halpert. And so on. And she keeps she keeps going, Um, and so Jim is listening to it in the office and then he's walking out into the parking lot in the dark and the voice messages continue to play over that. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of (laughs) heart-wrenching.
1: I love the one, uh, I think he might be in the car. She says, what's the word we made up when you have a thing stuck in your shoe? Anyway, I have a thing stuck in my shoe. That one really got to me. Um, you know, and captured what, uh, you know, what I think like relationships partly need, which is this kind mm-hmm. of like, not exactly a private language, but like a idiosyncratic language. You have inside jokes, you yeah. have words, you have patterns that um, yes. that that are yours, that are shared. And yeah. I really was like, oh, that's so... Um, intimate in a way to have you know and and she's bringing that up i mean it's a really nice circling back to the opening where he keeps looking up at ryan yes Um, and so there's the absence you know you're saying something that's really interesting to me i hadn't thought about which is how this episode disrupts like kind of shakes up the space so like and uh, you know we get michael's out of his office so that displaces jim to the back, like Pam is on vacation. So that moves Ryan up front, leading Michael to stare at him initially. (laughs) Um, And then because Jim is in the back, we get to sort of hang out more with Kelly, who uh, gets to shine a little bit more in this episode. So yeah, it's kind of fun how it like shakes up the space a little bit. Um, But Yeah. yeah, I definitely enjoyed the intimacy of Pam and Jim there.
0: Can can we talk about, since since you raise it, (laughs) Michael looking at Ryan? Yeah. Okay, so this is back to the opening. And so Jim, Ryan is sitting at reception. Jim keeps looking up at him and Ryan sort of weirdly looks back. It's very awkward. But then it cuts to this little interview where Ryan says, Jim's been looking at me kind of a lot all week. I would be creeped out by it, but it's nothing compared to the way Michael looks at me. And then it goes to Michael standing in his office looking through the blinds, just straight faced staring at Ryan until Michael notices that the camera is watching him. And then he does that thing of, you know, kind of looking around and pretending that (laughs) he's looking and tries to play it off. And that might be my favorite part of the episode. That just is so funny. I don't know why. But uh, I love Michael's predatory gaze.
1: The look away, you know, or the half-hearted, like, "Oh, I wasn't really looking." That one made me cringe. <laughs> that made me cringe. Um, no, that's a, it's a, it's a real. Uh, compared to, I, I don't remember the last. In the last couple of episodes, we've had some longer cold opens, and yeah, no, wasn't the last one the foot, the injury, um, or was it? When, whatever the one where we the had- The last one
0: was Hooters. So Hooters. Oh, okay. it was like
1: two ago. Two ago. Uh-huh. So two ago was a really long cold open. And this was back to the kind of shorter, punchier
0: visual yeah.
1: cold open. Like there's not any narrative besides the fact that Pam is gone. And I really
0: yeah. kind yeah. of enjoyed
1: that as a punchy cold open. Yeah. I loved, okay, so this is like a very small detail. There are a lot of little details I like, but one of them is that- um. Uh, OK, so Michael goes into his office after the cold open. He's like, oh, my God, that's terrible. You know, and then he gets Kevin to go in and it felt totally improv. But Kevin is like wants him to hold his coffee cup and Michael refuses to hold his coffee cup, which I just thought yeah. was so funny. It's like, why? Like he's doing this for you. Take his coffee cup. like. And I also was like, why does Kevin not want to bring his coffee in there? I guess because he knows that it stinks and it's going to mess up.
0: Oh yeah. It's just a little bit of
1: physical comedy Uh that really made me chuckle. Um, Oh, and then that he won't let Kevin out. And they're like, why won't you let him out? It was pretty funny.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, (laughs) I had really strong feelings with Kevin that his coffee should stay out because that smell should not come into direct contact with your coffee.
1: I do okay so I'm just gonna keep coming back to things I didn't like it just doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense to me that Michael would react to this in anything other than a more like he should be more paranoid I feel like I I don't know push back convince me otherwise but like it feels like the real plot would be he's like paranoid and Dwight is trying to like investigate who who shit on the carpet and yeah um, huh uh yeah, or something like that. It felt like yeah. really odd to me. He's like pretty blasé for a
0: while. More like more of a more of an investigation plot than a sort of waiting for carpet to be replaced and messing around all day. Which plot.
1: doesn't, I mean, like it would be too redundant of whatever we wasn't Hooter's the same episode with yeah, Oscar being out sick. And so Dwight just had an investigation. Can't do that. <laughs> Oh, Can't hey. Back-to-back investigations. But, but it just felt to me like he would be there would be more n- paranoia, anger, uh something, you know. Yeah. Um something like that.
0: So the funny thing is, I have in my notes that I did think this was an episode about paranoia.
1: Interesting.
0: So so the thing I was kind of thinking is that the in the last episode we talked about it kind of asking what does it mean to be a friend and I thought this episode asks what does it mean to be a boss and for Michael I think it's not only that people might shit on your rug but it's living with the paranoia that they will or that they might want to Mm. Um, and I felt like maybe some of his reaction was almost a kind of denial about Mm -hmm what he feared i think that what he feared that this meant oh my gosh i feel like you could go really freudian in some ways potentially with this episode the more that i now start, but so some of his initial responses (laughs) that i thought were so funny is first of all he asks is that a bird (laughs) (laughs) although no it might be that first he says someone vomited in my office uh-huh. and then Kevin or somebody tells him, I do not think that is vomit. And at some point he asks, is it a bird? Which is just, I don't know, <laughs> such a <laughs> random odd thing to ask about. And then he says, I cannot believe a pipe burst and left that in there.
1: Yeah, you're right.
0: That line I think is so funny yes. because there's, <laughs> Nothing opened from the ceiling. There's no pipe there to burst and leave that. But so the fact that he goes to these most preposterous possibilities for it, rather than, you know, somebody probably shat on the rug. It just, I don't know. I, I felt like there was this kind of need to deny in that or need to kind of narrate it differently so that it wouldn't be. what he ultimately considers a hate crime
1: (laughs) well okay i'm loving that as a reading i mean it definitely makes me like his responses better or makes me understand better um one very amusing moment for me was he says i'm a big fear factor fan i'm a big fan of anything joe rogan does actually so this is sort of like my audition tape um (laughs) but then he's like i can't stand it stay in here for another second no (laughs) Um, of course, you know, like Joe Rogan was not the uh, personality that he is now. Uh, you know, which is in you know sort of uh, funny to me. You know that like Michael Scott was ahead of the curve on. and oh, uh,
0: on wow, you're right.
1: Seeing Joe Rogan as a as somebody to that that this kind of man would be a fan of. Um, <laughs> I'm not amusing. Uh, this
0: kind of man.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to be as like. Delicate as I can, uh-huh. um, but the other element of this episode that I found kind of interesting, and maybe we can like layer it into your Freudian reading, is is Ed Truck. So he's basically, mm-hmm. and it led to one of my favorite lines in the episode, was something like he wanted to be like Ed Truck didn't let people have fun; they were always like having to pretend to work. And he's yeah. like, "I want people to laugh when they see me coming and applaud when I walk away," <laughs> which is very very funny you know it's like obviously you know he's being laughed at but he's reframing it but then also it is like he wants to be a comedian he wants to be a celebrity he wants to that's how he wants to be a boss
0: so then later
1: when ed truck shows up and they're standing by the dumpster with the rug in the background which is really
0: yeah why the rug doesn't smell more was one thing that bothered me a little bit
1: (laughs) but then he says um Well, first, somebody did that in his office, Mm -hmm. which I think is interesting. I don't know. I'm trying to do some Oedipal, you know, uh, thing here. But he says, um, what is it? Uh, You can't expect to be friends with everybody. And Michael says, well, sure I can. Ed says, no, they'll always think of you as a boss first. And Michael says, not necessarily. You can love a boss like you do a father. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that ever happens. Well, okay. Different management styles. And Ed says, and I really <laughs> wanted to debate this with you. Why can't your workers be your workers, family, your family, your friends, be your friends. Yeah. Um, so yeah. What did you think about that? I mean, I'm wondering if we can fold that in a bit to your Freudian thing, but yeah. thoughts?
0: Yeah, on? definitely. Cause it definitely seems like if he, if he wants as, as a boss, he wants to be loved like a father. I feel like the thing about Freud and the family is that there's also just all of this kind of seething tension and complexity and desire to be absolutely loved, but that then ends up with, um, I don't know, kind of tension and aggression within the family as you try and be that receiver of love. So yeah, I think there's definitely something in in Michael's desire to be a beloved father to the office, which is <laughs> kind of an inappropriate position for him. And it reminds me of when <laughs> the episode when Michael said, I can't remember which this was, but when he said that at some point the daddy can't take a bath with the kids anymore. <laughs> but yes, you might like to take a bath with Pam. <laughs> there's also the interview he does. I checked this. I looked it up. It was in the episode. Why did I look it up and then forget which one it was? It was in an episode, the fight. It was in the fight when there's the interview and Michael says, would I rather be loved or feared? Um, easy. Easy both I want people to be afraid of how much they love me yes 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 so there is this kind of (laughs) like cluster of desire to be both the boss and the sort of beloved in the office
1: I mean I do think this is I mean it's making me like the episode a little bit better because maybe it's a moment where we get to see how haphazard Michael is as a desiring subject. <laughs> he, um, I mean, it opens up with his kind of almost predatory gaze against, yes. onto on Ryan, right? Like he, he wants yeah. him, he really wants him, you know, he's almost in love with him, you know, and, <laughs> um, but his, his, his love for everything is always like very ambivalent and um potentially uh, you know i don't know disrupted or reversible or something so it's interesting to see him kind of spin wildly trying to maintain the illusion of love in the office
0: yeah. Yeah. and
1: doing it in different ways until he, it sort of collapses and then it gets resurrected because it well it wasn't any of them and mm-hmm. the person who did it you know in his mind is doing it out of a kind of Bonding friendship way. So, yeah, so I like your reading of it. Is he's kind of in denial. I do think, I mean, Ed Truck is supposed to represent an older style of corporate labor Mm -hmm. in which the lines between work, family, and friends are clear. Mm -hmm. And this is something we talked about early in the first season of the show, where I was kind of saying, like, to what extent does this show kind of like either contribute to or diagnose that? blurred line of intimacy, you know, hmm. and like, is it a bad thing? Cause like, it is the logic of corporate labor to sort of be like, no, like this is your home and this is your family. So you should as a consequence, sacrifice everything for your corporate uh, family or whatever. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just interested in how the office like thinks that problem through in mm-hmm. this case, it's like that idea really matches nicely with somebody who is completely needy and has no life so
0: um
1: but at the same time it also resonates with Jim and Pam right like for whom in the absence of sitting next to each other their friendship really is put in peril Hmm. um or their intimacy is right like it has to be um Anyway, so so I can imagine they would also not want to agree with the idea that your workers are workers and your friends are your friends. They, they're a little messier
0: with it, too. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It almost seems like Ryan is the other one who's most in line with the Ed Truck philosophy, sort yeah. of. Because I'm remembering on <laughs> the cleaning day when he kind of talks about cleaning out his desk and he's like, I I could leave and no one would ever know that I had been here and I'd be okay with that too or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I feel like he's one where these, like the lack of boundaries are hurting Ryan and he would like to maintain that distance. It's so, it's interesting the way that it's set up that at first, at first when Michael mentions Ed Truck, it's not thinking about calling him at all. It's remembering, isn't it, when he and Dwight are sitting at the desk and he's kind of reminiscing, I think, about how things used to be, how Todd sat at the desk uh, next to him when he would come into town and Ed Truck was the boss at the time. And he just describes kind of hating him. And there's that picture of, of Michael, I think, from one of the past newsletters where he has long, he's posing with Ed Truck. He has long hair and a fanny pack.
1: Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God.
0: We get a nice little glimpse of some Michael Michael history. But when Ed Truck first comes up, he's talking about him as a hated boss and a killjoy, basically. Mm -hmm. And it seems... Like it's not really anything very particular about Ed Trock, who by the way, I just love the name Ed Truck. Too. Yeah. Yeah. But it seems like it's not anything really particular to him, which is why I thought the episode was kind of thinking about what it means to be a boss. And I think that's the way that Ed talks about it too. Is you know, you're in this you're in this position where people are not going to like you. And fine, you just have to deal with that and Jan has actually said something similar when she has to give Michael bad news about the healthcare. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's, she's telling him, you know, I have to deliver bad news all the time. I'm doing that right now. And so Mm -hmm. part of being a boss is in being in a position where people are not always going to like you. And so I think for Michael, that's, I think that this is kind of, uh, pulling out his deepest darkest fear
1: Mm. oh that's interesting not
0: being loved by the people in the office
1: it's very interesting uh that um okay so after it's revealed that it's packer he says it takes an advanced sense of humor i don't expect everybody to understand it was done (laughs) out of love just like i thought it's uh god these people are so these are good people we have fun we just have fun I'm just so sorry that I threw the thing out. Um, not to go like too Freudian, also, it's very interesting that the episode can't signify shit. It can't oh, say yeah, you right. can't say the word shit because it's like network television, but it does not substitute poop or I don't know, like crap or other euphemisms that would Mm -hmm. be more so instead they call it the thing
0: yeah Um,
1: and then and what's his face I mean Michael has like as you said his denial is like manifested in like not just not recognizing it like for a prank but like not literally even recognizing what it is, like despite its materiality. So he's like, it's a bird, it's vomit or whatever. You <laughs> can't sort really of recognize that it is pure waste. Yeah. Or um yeah. And uh and even the episode itself is called the carpet, right? Which like distracts us mm-hmm. from what is on the carpet. Like it could be called the stain or the smell yeah. or the stinky. Speaking of I don't know if you caught this, but in the background, in one of the interviews with Michael, is a uh, s- uh, photograph uh-huh. from the Lackawanna State Fair uh-huh. of what? The, of a sandwich called the Big Stinky. And
0: oh, good spotting, up, Tyler!
1: I looked it up to see if it's a real sandwich, and I couldn't find anything other than lots of people writing about this episode. But the Lackawanna uh-huh. State Fair is real and like obviously the joke there being the big stinky like mm-hmm. you know so anyway it's just interesting that like if he can't face the fact that they don't love him like that it gets bound up with like the episode not being able to like actually say what this is which is yes. you know what I mean or I don't know
0: oh that's yeah that's really interesting and the way that calling it the thing both makes it more vague. Like it sort of reduces it in some way, but it also raises it up in some way because it becomes the thing Mm -hmm. and sort of the central thing of the episode. And I guess if we're also going too far with the Freud, if we think about how he talks, like the idea of being anal or like the uh, sort of anal phase about being about control, being fundamentally, you know, about controlling the body and then maintaining a sense of control that really is bigger than just the physical body itself. And so I feel like it also is this kind of sign of a loss, a sort of profound loss of control Mm. to have a shit pile on the floor in his office, in the kind of center of boss power.
1: Mm, mm. It's interesting too, that we get one of my favorite actual like visual gags was that Jim doesn't want to go to his, he can't like go and talk to Pam because Roy's talking to her. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of the room, like there's like a, I don't know what that middle room would be called. Yes, I, mean, I don't know if it's their little kitchenette or something, but
0: yeah.
1: Um, I need a map of the office at some point, but anyway, he uh because isn't the kind of kitchenette like where the bathrooms are as well yes okay. yeah yeah so it's like a transitional space between them and then on the other side is kelly yeah um and so instead he goes into the bathroom but the camera sort of lingers and then mm-hmm. like the door closes and then we see that it's the men's room and I just thought that was like it was a it was an elegant little visual gag, but the bathroom lingers over, yeah, really often. And he says that like, oh, you couldn't understand what it's like to be in my office. It's this high pressure, you know, yeah. place. So yeah. there's something about like, as you said, he's being displaced from his place of control and visual control, right? Because it opens up with him yeah. looking at.
0: Yes, everything. you're right. <laughs> yes, this so is, he.
1: This is totally about how uh, about Michael's like repressed um, homoeroticism, right? Because like,
0: That's it's how also, we always like, get there.
1: <laughs> it's also about Packer, right? Like he's so yes. delighted that Packer like loves him enough to give him his wow.
0: ass. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because you're we go from aggressively looking at aggressively gazing on um ryan to that that is a very good point also the episode opens
1: okay now i love this episode it <laughs> also opens with jim staring longingly at ryan and so yes. the threat of like queerness is evident there and yeah ryan being like what you know and
0: yes. uh, so well, the idea there's that a lot is- there is a lot going on here also when packer calls And Michael picks up, he says, um, hello, yes, I'm looking for a gay nerd named Michael.
1: Right, right. A gay
0: nerd named Michael Scott. And he says that a couple times, calling him a gay nerd. And so I was thinking about that, reminding us of what is the office climate for Oscar, since we found out that he is gay, or at least he has a male partner in the last Um, episode. And so this gave us something about what is the office climate on, you know, if you were to be gay in the office. Um, But we also, I hadn't connected it to all of those other kind of moments of homoeroticism or the kind of charge that there is in all those looks and all those interactions.
1: He wants to be the daddy. (laughs) He
0: wants to be the daddy i, mean, I
1: thought Pat calls it a big package number one you know so oh, he kind of makes it
0: is so disgusting
1: but also okay so um i'm really gonna go out on a ledge here but <laughs> bring it i think i think we've gone there so let's just say you uh i do feel like this episode or our discussion of this episode is a good example of like why you should major in english because yeah. it's like if you want the world to be more, you find the world boring, you want to make it more interesting. Like this is how, like we went into the yeah. episode being like, eh, this is boring. And now yeah. we're all, actually, you know what? I'm into it. Um, but, uh, oh crap, what was I going to say? Um, oh, gay nerd. Michael, prior to this, calls it a hate crime. And Stanley says, <laughs> that's not how it works. Uh, and he says, well, I hated it, which is one of the funniest jokes in the whole show so far I mean it's a really funny joke and it's true right it's not a hate crime if Michael is not gay but when hmm. Packer is calling him gay and you know Michael clearly has like I don't know maybe not so clearly but he does have a kind of homoerotic desire for Ryan <laughs> there is a reading in which like it could be a hate cr- or at least an incipient hate crime of um, Thing, yes. <laughs> just not the one that Michael thinks that it is.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that Michael is victim to a hate crime, but a different one, than one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that's funny. So the hate crime thing <laughs> is interesting and it's taking me back to the language Michael uses in those interviews, which like you said, is all over the place in terms of his feelings about it. And so I'm thinking about how he kind of tries to narrate the thing on the carpet. And so in one of the interviews early on, he says, why would somebody ruin a perfectly good carpet? Also, it's so it's funny that in that question, why would somebody ruin a perfectly good carpet? It's not, why would someone do this in my office? It's about the carpet itself as if the violation is against the carpet rather than him. And he says, I don't know. It could be done out of hate. It could be done out of love. It could be completely neutral.
1: I forgot about that line. Yes.
0: (laughs) And then he says, maybe somebody hates the cleaning lady (laughs) and goes (laughs) on from there. But so that idea, I think, of kind of controlling the narrative and trying to explain what are the possible meanings of this violation of the carpet. Later, once he gets more upset about it and maybe more openly paranoid about what it means, that's when he says, I'm the victim of a hate crime. Stanley knows what I'm talking about. And Stanley who tells him that is not what a hate crime is. But it's, because I feel like he does not want it to mean, on the one hand, he does not want it to mean that somebody hates him. But being hated versus being the victim of a hate crime Those are like these different things where if he gets it to be, if he, if it somehow is deserving, that's a weird word for this, but if it somehow becomes deserving of the label hate crime, it puts it in this different category than it just being because somebody hates you. Uh Uh So it seems like he's more comfortable with it being a hate crime than with it just meaning that somebody hates him. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, that's really interesting.
0: So I don't know, it says something, I guess, about the langu- the kind of legal language of hate crime or what it means for Michael to be a victim and sort of like in the injury, you know, when he wants, you know, he, he wants to either be the victim of a hate crime or he wants to mm-hmm. have a disability and have people respond to him in the exact way that he's sort of expecting should come of that. That's I don't know. Funny it's kind
1: of interesting because it's like a hate crime is, I don't know, I don't know how much I want to talk about, <laughs> but okay, you know, a hate crime is about like attacking, you know, violating someone because they uh represent a particular protected class, right? Yeah. And so in some sense, it's not personal, right? Like you don't, yeah. we think of hate, as a highly personalized, I hate this person or whatever. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: But a hate crime is sort of like, I hate the category or I hate the group or whatever. Yeah, Uh, that's right. It doesn't matter which gay person it is or it doesn't matter which black person it is or which, you know, so forth and so on. So um, so it's kind of interesting that like calling it a hate crime or as he calls it also an act of terrorism.
0: Oh my um, gosh, yeah, I forgot about the act of terrorism.
1: They also, I mean, I'm just like riding your wave of like Michael in denial, but like both of those things make it, they make it bigger than what it is, but they also make it ironically less personal
0: than yeah. what it is,
1: right? Cause it's like, well, yeah, if it's, a club, right. it's about what, you know, I don't even know what he would be thinking bosses or whatever, you know, or something, <laughs> right. I, don't know. I don't know what his category would be um, or an act of terror. He says an act of terrorism against the office, but like from yes. who to what end? You know? But then <laughs> it's everybody. We're all under attack, so it's not me. Like he can't be. Um, yes, but I just uh, riffing on that a little more in the line races. Maybe somebody hates the cleaning lady, <laughs> and well, <laughs> she doesn't do a very good job, obviously, because my office still reeks like you would not believe. I hate her. <laughs> i was thinking about that too like something that's interesting about this episode is that we get to see the i'm always really interested when we see the warehouse Mm -hmm. workers come into the office space versus the office people going down to the warehouse but here we see them come up the cleaning is feminine and then the taking out the carpet is like working class male labor um and uh I don't have a point about that other than it was just kind of interesting the way it sequences that. Like mm-hmm. um and I did like the image of the the uh warehouse Roy and um uh is it Daryl? Yeah uh, sleeping, one sleeping, but they're both like drunk. <laughs> like there's all these beers
0: in the I just <laughs> think <they're> very funny. <laughs> yeah, I like that too. <laughs> yeah, and that's the first time we get. Oh, you know, I was gonna say you're right, because most of the warehouse labor is kind of considered a masculine labor that Michael sort of envies, if we go back to basketball, because of its masculinity. And here we get, um, with the cleaning lady, you said more of a gendered and more of a feminized kind of worker, although we do have Madge in the warehouse. I was going to say there aren't any women in the warehouse, but there is Madge, who Michael thinks her name is Pudge. I can't remember if we got that yet or if it comes later, but anyway michael what did Locked you on. what did you make of
1: the kelly ryan plot because that's like the last thing i have in my notes um yes uh, yeah i will say i mean if we wanted to keep building our um this episode is actually about being in the closet uh or something <laughs> it is interesting that she talks about the closet her closet um, yeah Uh, In particular, she Uh says, I could not follow what she was talking about. My closet doors will not shut. I mean, it only takes so long to measure to make sure that clothes will hang up because aren't all hangers like that big. So I don't understand why the closet engineer didn't think of that. So now I'm doing this new thing where I just leave piles of clothes (laughs) on the floor and then I walk around the piles to get an outfit. (laughs) I thought, well, I was just sort of like, wait, so is she saying that the closet itself was incorrectly engineered? yes like from the beginning and
0: yeah like it wasn't made deep enough for I hangers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't, what anyway, i wanted I... to know is with her piles of clothes are at first i pictured them just as messy piles of clothes around the floor yeah but maybe they're folded piles
1: that could be that could i be. Be. <laughs> i actually was like I, I don't know maybe i'm just being contrarian but i kind of felt that the episode wanted us to be annoyed at kelly but I didn't find that to be an. I was like, that's actually an interesting anecdote. I would like to know more. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I yeah uh, what did you good. think of their, her and Ryan together?
0: I really loved it that we got much more of Kelly. More of her personality came out here than we've ever gotten before. So we get a lot of her talking. And I think you're right. She is supposed to be annoying. We find out that she t- she tells Jim when he moves back into her little cubicle area that Toby used to sit there but he had to move because of an allergy which we kind of quickly put together as Uh Kelly's excessive talking (laughs) but she's just very I don't know I find her very she's positive and she's fun and she has a lot to say one of the other times when it kind of breaks in she's talking to Jim and she's saying Beyonce, the color pink, pink the person, hot dogs, basically anything that is awesome, snow cones. <laughs> you don't have the context for it. So I guess she's just <laughs> listing things that she really likes. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love this list, especially when she includes pink the color, pink the person, and hot dogs. It's just, it's just a great collection of things. And um yeah, so she she likes likes ryan she's interested in ryan so she and michael are actually maybe entering into some competition here uh but she's too embarrassed to say something so she wants jim to go ask she basically begs jim to go talk to ryan which he does and uh yeah i just i loved loved kelly
1: i feel i don't know if um Uh, Mindy Kaling had been on anything prior to The Office. Like, you know, I'm not Mm -hmm. sure. But man, like the minute, every minute that she's on screen, you can just tell, like, she's going to be a star or whatever. She's so funny and charismatic and like, she's just interesting. She makes really interesting choices. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do feel like that's partly why like Kelly works so well as a character is because Mm -hmm. she's really good at you know, and she's like one of the main writers on the show, right? So um, yeah, it's just kind of interesting to think of her thumbprint all over this stuff. And then she gives herself this character that yeah. you know everybody else is supposed to perceive as kind of like annoying, and she just takes those scenes and really um kills it. I don't know. I mean, like the way she kind of whines to Jim, like please, 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 is is just hilarious. I mean, yeah. I guess we're supposed to think Jim is okay so in the last episode i keep forgetting to build these connections so he his crush was revealed right and so Mm -hmm. but then immediately pam went away on vacation and even michael hints at them like having sex or whatever right like pam and roy that is and then pam and roy are talking about like yeah let's do this again like next month or whatever so jim is just like
0: when pam and roy are flirty like this and enjoying each other i just get so annoyed
1: <laughs> so it's an interesting thing to have like another burgeoning romance yeah in the back of the uh of the office but yeah actually can i i'm sliding away just from kelly for a second okay is is pam what's happened all right it's very <laughs> sweet that she leaves those voicemails and i until this moment was thinking that pam would be my dundee of the week but hmm. She knows from the last episode that he's into her. She goes mm-hmm. on a vacation that rekindles her romance for Roy, and then she leaves these messages. Which, if she knows that he's got even the smallest crush for her, that's torture. Is she torture. a bad dude? Is she a bad person? What's happening? What do you think? <laughs> or is she like Michael in total denial? Like, do you read her similarly in denial?
0: Oh, yeah. I think it, I think it might be too far for me to go to read her as a bad person. <laughs> I, <laughs> Those are your
1: only options. I'm sorry.
0: I, tend, I think I tend to think denial. And I think she really, I think she does want Roy to love her. And I think, you know, on the booze cruise, she was very. I think very genuinely happy when he this time did it for real and asked her to get engaged, even though he said the first time didn't really count um and she seems really happy after this but i don't know yeah those those messages i yeah like i don't i don't take her to be taunting him or doing something like that on purpose but i guess back to your question about the boundaries of you know your workers being your workers and your friends being your friends it does seem like having a more of a boundary would be helpful for Jim but for her she loves him and and I don't mean that necessarily in the romantic sense although like that's there too but um I feel like she gets so much pleasure out of the relationship and out of the connection to him and clearly is so it's so comfortable you know he's the guy that you just say whatever little comment or thought kind of comes into her mind, she wants to mention to him. She wants to share her Sudoku triumph, for example. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I don't think that she's kind of dangling herself in front of him on, huh. on purpose necessarily, yeah. but that is certainly the effect.
1: I think that's a really interesting and like precise reading. Yeah. Cause it's like, she wants to be friends with him and I guess that's the problem right in some ways is nothing she does is like not um yeah it it wouldn't yeah it's only a problem because he has he's caught feelings um but there is something I don't know I'm just kind of interested in the idea that uh like I don't want to push this too far but like Roy hasn't really done anything bad in this episode and yet we just always loathe him and it's an interesting <laughs> it, it would be interesting to see what a romantic comedy plot would do that like does it by necessity have to make somebody else seem like the one you should be with do you have to juxtapose them to someone that you definitely shouldn't be with you know right. like like and I don't know what that would look like but you know I don't know it's just interesting how even like Roy's actually fine in this episode he should be like yeah let's go out and he should be like flirting with her and whatever and um but that makes us like him even less even though he's supposedly doing more of what we would want him to do um but only because we want her to be with Jim um but I one last thing I thought I would read into the record Mm -hmm. um at least for me and then and then wherever you want to go but uh jim's phone call to brenda he says hey brenda this is a uh, jim Helpert from the boat and i got your number from the corporate directory and well i was assuming that you probably gave it to them because you wanted me to ask you out right <laughs> so give me a call back you can get my number from said directory um or just check your email because i just sent you one yikes uh give me a call back i hope i'll talk to you later bye <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel that this encapsulates everything that's charming as hell about Jim's Mm -hmm. character, right? He's like not actually afraid to put himself out there, put his heart on the line, but in a kind of awkward and chill and like self-effacing kind of way. Like he's saying, yikes, I'm really doing that. And, uh, but I, it's also very funny the way he says, "Um, you probably gave them your number so that I could ask you out, which is both like, recognizing how weird it is and it's kind of a confidence statement right like it's an ironic confidence but anyway i i I don't know
0: you're right so i think jim is so good at asking people out and the (laughs) ironic confidence you're right it's ironic confidence that is the key to unlock the hotness of jim (laughs) back when he asked katie out yeah The purse girl, he first goes in and is kind of uh, he says something like, you know, don't try to don't try to sell me a purse, though, because I'm really just here to learn. And as they're walking out to the parking lot, he says, don't freak out. I drive a really nice car. It's a Corolla or something, something like that. And so I think that Jim at his best is that sort of ironic confidence. And you're right. It is super, super charming.
1: It's interesting that they have, I mean, I think, you know, if we were to really think it through, like it is strange that he's asking somebody out from corporate and that he's asking out another coworker and that he's, I don't know, you know, like he could do better. He could go elsewhere. I don't know. But, um, but the reason it has to be Brenda is because of it will, it produces this moment, right. That it's like, he gets his number or he gets her number in this awkward way. And he's going to leave a voicemail. Like, I don't know. I mean, maybe they could have orchestrated that with some other character, but it's, an, it's a really efficient writing way to, because like, I don't, as far, I would bet Brenda's not going to come back and be a character. So <laughs> like, why not make it some salesperson? Well, you know, or like somebody he met at a conference or somebody, another salesperson in the company at a different yeah. Thunder Mifflin or whatever, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Um one other thing I wanted to go back to was something that you've said about the silence involved in straight relationships. Yeah. And I think that we get that again. Well, I guess to your to your thing about Jim and going to Brenda, it's that, you know, the thing that he wants he cannot have and it's being so um I don't know, kind of dramatically on display for him now. So it feels like he has to go to the other. But with um, Kelly and Ryan, we also get that silence where they cannot directly articulate their interest to each other. So Kelly talks to Jim. So the Jim will talk to Ryan, but then when Ryan talks to Jim, he again sends Jim back to Kelly like as the intercessor so they don't ever directly yes talk about it and I loved it too how Kelly tells Ryan I'm sorry she tells Jim that oh yeah she she wants she or she tells him what she really wants and I can't remember exactly what it is but it's like marriage and babies and she wants to go all in but she's like but don't tell him that you know tell him I'm just down to have a good time or (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> whatever. So I thought that this was another really interesting example of that. I guess, yeah, I guess Jim's kind of the one who is direct about his um his interests, although not entirely because uh,
1: yeah, not with pain. You no, know,
0: Brenda's does not really really be the, the ultimate interest.
1: That's a great um,, oh, that's a great point that, yeah, like Jim's function is to be the go-between. I love that point. and i and it was really funny the way kelly is like super enthusiastic about like i want to have babies i want to have kids but don't yeah um yeah it's awesome
0: yeah the the other final thing i want to recognize before we go to the dundies is that ryan is again eating string cheese oh really oh i missed that i really like the continuity of that and he he wasn't diving into it but i just noticed when he was in the kitchen with jim he was opening the fridge and getting out string cheese and actually i noticed i think he has the same brand of string cheese as i do oh oh all right okay. i didn't pay enough attention but as i'm picturing it yeah so i i just really liked to see that the string cheese wasn't just a one-time thing in order to have the funny thing about diving right into it but that it really is part of his character and he really likes string cheese as a daily snack
1: I'm going to I'm resolving to do better with my continuity, you know. I'm going to try to remember what happened in the previous episodes before <laughs> and I will try to remember to like look for certain things. I was pretty happy about seeing Big Stinky the sandwich. Uh yeah,
0: that was but, great. Um,
1: you know, but uh, uh, yeah, I really want to I want to be there with you on this journey of remembering the details. <laughs> but I'm so glad you you're such like a hawk-eyed viewer for this stuff. It's so interesting. <laughs> So I'm kind of curious where you're going to go with your Dundee of
0: the Week. Tyler, I think you're going to be really surprised. This week, I am giving the Fine Work Award to Roy and Daryl. What? I know, I know. So I just felt like they did a really good job with that carpet. I mean, they were called in to do that job and no complaints. They put on their masks and they did it. I thought Roy looked good with that bandana style mask. I agree. I felt like that was a good look for him. And I just thought it was pretty impressive that you just get called up and you're ready to go to tear out one carpet and put in a new one. And I got to tell you, that's actually a point in Roy's favor for marriage because like that kind of skill is really nice. (laughs) Um, And I, I'm actually pretty confident that Jim couldn't do that or could not do that well and would not do it with the positive attitude that I think we get from Roy and Daryl. I also loved it. (laughs) You mentioned this, but when they've got the door closed and they're laying down and they have a little cooler and their beer, one of them's drinking out of a beer bottle so I felt like that was also a creative use of time. <laughs> wow. And uh, yeah, so so fine work award, Roy and Daryl.
1: Um, well, I'm going to, get, first, I love that. I, 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 I uh, And it, it hadn't even really occurred to me until you said it, that just because you work in the warehouse doesn't mean that you know how to replace a carpet. You know, mm-hmm. like the only reason that seems logical is because it's like, oh, it's working class labor. So, you know, whatever, um, but, uh, or skilled labor or something, I don't know what you're supposed to call it, but in any case, uh, yeah, I love that. I'm going to give the confidence award to Pam Beasley. And
0: Beasley, wow.
1: I almost pulled away from her as I was thinking about Jim's tortured heart,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: you did remind me that like, well, you know, even if she knows first, Jim told her that his crush was over. Okay. Mm -hmm. So even if she suspects that maybe it lasted a little longer, there's nothing to suggest that she's like mercilessly torturing him on purpose. And he, because he, he should tell her if he has the feels. And then secondly, she really wants to be friends with him. And so, but what where I, so I really love her voicemails and all of that. And I thought it was great, but I really like this small moment when Michael starts to pout and he's like, we're not going to do a sales contest. She speaks up and says, that doesn't seem fair. And like pushes back. I felt like she pushed back on him a couple of times in this Mm -hmm. episode. Um, And she says, what's our punishment. Um, So I like to see Pam have a little more confidence and to stand up to Michael. And I feel like that's something we're seeing grow very slowly this season, but it is growing. And Uh, And I'm proud of her. And I think that that's good. Um, And it was interesting that she stands up too, because she's not going to win the sales contest. She can't get that money. So I guess like she's standing up in a way for everybody else, which I thought was kind of admirable. So
0: yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. And interestingly, Jim is not even in on that contest.
1: No, you're (laughs) right.
0: What's happening. And Michael has taken his clients.
1: Uh, now, next episode.
0: Wait, wait, Tyler. This is just oh. reminded me. There's one more thing. Yeah. That I have to say. Okay. Huh. This. <laughs> this you reminded me of it talking about the sales contest. Yeah. This is when Michael makes a sales a sale on the phone and then oh, he said the sea. So, <laughs> so you have forty boxes out, and I will deliver those personally in a sea <laughs> <laughs> The fact that he, I mean, we do see these glimpses of how Michael is kind of, a, sometimes he's a horrible worker and sometimes he is a good worker. <laughs> to deliver 40 boxes personally. I don't think you can even fit 40 boxes on one trip in a Seabrook.
1: Oh, I feel like the, the tires would blow out or something. I you love know? how
0: he specifies the kind of car. I just so. thought that was so, so good.
1: Like, like you would be impressed or something, but like, I don't know why <laughs> I would not know what that means. If somebody said to me, I'm bringing it a Sebring- okay. Oh, yeah.
0: I think it's the personal touch of the small yeah. business.
1: That's right. You know?
0: That's right. <laughs> yeah. So just had to get in that, get that in there.
1: Well, next episode, boys and girls. Is that what it's called?
0: That's right. Boys
1: uh, and girls. Any, any, memories thoughts uh, associations i don't remember or know anything about this so
0: no i think we'll just uh i think we'll just see when we get there
1: all right well thanks everybody for listening and uh we will see you next time for boys and girls
0: all right thanks for listening bye